Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day, for the beauty of your creation, Lord, for the cool this morning, the cool that reminds us that winter is coming and that it is important to find shelter, Lord, a place of refuge, a place of safety and security and a place of warmth. We thank you that you have drawn us to this, drawn us to this place of refuge, this place of security and protection, Lord. And we pray that as we are here gathered around your word, that you would warm us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would warm our hearts and that you would melt the ice which so easily forms in us, Lord. Help us to be filled with your mercy and grace and love, joy and peace. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us today. Reveal yourself to us and show us your power and your love. Lord God, give me your words to speak to your people and give us all your word that we might be messengers of your good news in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. I hope you're all doing well today. Well, my hope for today as well is that this will be a lights out sermon, right? Um, Because I've been working on the lights of my car some more since last Sunday. I keep working on different lights. I got those ones I was talking about worked on, fixed, but there's more, right? I had these two off-road lights sitting on my, my fenders of my old car, and basically for the whole time I've owned the car, they've not worked, right? And so I'm like, all right, now is time to tackle that project and finally get those working right. And so I wired them up, ran new wire to them, ran a nice relay and a switch, and it was all set up. Had to put different connectors on it because the bulbs I got had a different kind of, I don't know, prongs on the back. And so I finally got that all done and plugged it all in, screwed it all down, went into the cab of my car and flipped the switch. It worked! But, there's a caveat, it worked about as well as like an old tallow candle. Which is not exactly what you're going for, but it was quite romantic. So I thought, you know, maybe these are just mood lights. You know, who knows? And um, so, but I was slightly unsatisfied, right? That like, it was, it was like an old-fashioned lantern. You know, you could kind of maybe see something. There was a hint of light inside the, inside here. But that's not how it was supposed to work. So I unplugged it and unscrewed it and pulled it out and read the back of these light bulbs that I'd researched for days trying to find the right one. And sure enough, it says it's a 28-volt light bulb. Yeah. that Like most car systems operate off of 12 or 14 volts, right? Uh, this is for double that. And so it did not appreciate that I was only putting half of the power to it. And so it was rewarding me with candlelight. That was it. All that work, all that time, all that effort, all those days spent trying to plan this out and get it to work amounted in nothing. Nothing. At the end, I was um, not any better off than before. And indeed, I'd squandered a lot of time. And so I walked out of the garage and was heading back into the house to try to figure out what to do with 28-volt bulbs. And I was frustrated. I could feel that frustration building in me, right? Do you ever have that feeling? I'm sure you all never get frustrated. But me every once in a while. Oh, man. And I was I was so just like, I don't know, 
crabby about it. And I was wondering, God, why do things, why are they so difficult for me? And then I froze. I froze. I was on the back steps of my house and I just stopped because I knew I was preaching on Job this Sunday and I had to stop. I had to stop, right? Because were things really that difficult for me? No. No. No, I have an amazing ability to complain when things are not really that difficult. I don't know if it's the military. We love to complain about things in the military. They've trained you, kind of, you know, grumble about everything. But, oh man, I mean, would my lights eventually get fixed? Yeah, I'm not giving up yet. They'd eventually get fixed. Um, was it the end of the world that they didn't work that time? No, it's not the end of the world. Would I survive this encounter with lights that didn't turn on well? Yes, I'd survive. Did I need to curse God and die in my anger as Job's wife says to him? No, not at all. It was not that big a deal. Now, for the last three weeks, we've been following Job. We've been following the saga of his troubles and him wrestling with these troubles and wrestling with his friends. Next week, we'll have the final chapter of that, sh- that story, the culmination of that book. But today, today we're going to be looking at the, the body of Job, the body of the book, not him personally. Um, and it all begins like this. You all remember that Satan is permitted by God to test Job because Job is righteous. He signs up for like a, a medical trial without knowing it. And so Satan takes away all that he has, his family, his health, his wealth, his possessions. It's all taken from him. And Job sits down in the ashes and sackcloth and begins to scratch at the sores that are all over his body with a broken piece of pottery. This is not your best life now, is it? Nobody thinks about that, like retirement. Oh, man, I hope. No, not at all. No, this is this is horrible, and this is where Job is stuck. And in a most beautiful encounter, his friends come to him, and the first thing they do is they just sit with him. They just sit. They don't say anything. They don't try to give him platitudes like, oh, I'm sure it'll all be fine. Just think what a strong person you'll be at the end of this. No, none of that. They just sit with him. Wait, I think this is really beautiful part of the book of, the Job, of Job. But unfortunately, it devolves pretty quickly because friends will be friends. And they begin to try to um, talk to him about what might have happened to have brought about this calamity in his life. And ultimately, it, it becomes they are convinced that he must have done something wrong. Something wrong. To have everything taken from him so spectacularly, right? Job, you must have done something. You must have sinned against God. You must have done something inappropriate for God to bring about this difficulty in your life. And last week, uh, in our passage, we read about Job's defense against his friends. He's tired of what his friends have been accusing him of, uh, that they've been accusing him of things he hasn't done. And he's frustrated, and he wants to have his day in court, to face God, and to be vindicated. 
then he wouldn't have to listen anymore to his friends nagging because God would surely listen to him and vindicate his cause. You and I, though, we're in an interesting position, aren't we? Because we know more about Job's life than Job knows. We're up there for that council in heaven where God and Satan are talking. And we know about what's going on behind the scenes or above the scenes. We're aware of that. We know more than Job and his friends do. And so we get to watch as they kind of guess and try to figure out what is going on in his life. His friends in particular, they're trying to piece together um, the source of all these problems in his life. And they're trying to do so from an incomplete picture. And they're not like Sherlock Holmes who can kind of see a little few hints and then figure it all out. No, instead, they come to the wrong conclusion about Job. And they fail to actually get to the real events which has caused his problems. Now, at this point, God steps in and we read about God stepping in in our passage for today. Job had been hoping that when God stepped in, everything, he'd be able to defend himself and explain everything to God. And then God would say, you're right, Job. It's not supposed to be this way. And so listen to his words from 15 chapters before our passage for today. He says, oh, that I knew where I might find him, him being God, uh, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments I would learn what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, but he would give heed to me. There an upright person could reason with him and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. That's how Job wants it to go, right? That's how he imagines this interchange with God going. He's thinking when God shows up, oh, here's my moment. My moment to defend my case before him. And does Job get to do that before God? Not really. But also he does. It's kind of interesting because our passage begins with these words. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. What does it mean when you answer somebody? It implies that something else has happened before, right? That a question has happened before, right? So Job has in fact, been heard. God is answering him. Job doesn't get to stand before God and say, okay, God, here's how it is. Uh, I'm concerned about the events in my life and I'm curious about why this is taking place. Instead, God has been listening to Job this whole time in his arguments with his friends, in his cries up to the Lord. The Lord has heard. He has heard all of Job's word. Job didn't need to go up to the courtroom of heaven, to the great people's court. Instead, he was heard right now in this place. God had been listening to him. That's exciting, isn't it? Isn't that good? That means God is listening. Is that scary? Yes, that's terrifying. It's not just when you're standing in front of him that he listens. He's listening all the time. As I was walking up my back steps and complaining, who was listening? God. No one else heard, but the Lord did. Bart and my dog. My dog did not seem concerned by the matter. Now, but what follows in this answer, right, that the Lord is answering Job, is not an explanation of what has been going on in heaven to cause Job such grief. 
but rather a description of why Job has no access to that information. God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Is this going the way Job hoped? No, not at all. Could you imagine God asking you that question? Oh my goodness, I'd be terrified. And then he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? God's answer to Job is, who do you think you are to ask me why I do the things I do? Now, I don't know about you, but that's not such a satisfying response. Right, is it? I mean, it's like when we told our kids, well, do it because I told you so. Right? Like, sure, yes, I told you so. But is that, are the kids ever satisfied? Like, oh, yes, you did. Tell me that. I'll go and do it. No, not at all. It's not satisfying. And not only does Job not get a clear answer beyond I am God and I do what I do, and I've been doing what I do for all of eternity, and you're not going to change it. But he also gets knocked down a few pegs in the process as well. Ultimately, Job accepts that God is God and that he is not. He then, interestingly, has to pray for his friends. God says, Job, you got to pray for your friends. You've got to intercede on their behalf because I am ticked at them. Because they were not saying appropriate things about me. They were wrong. They thought they were so right and were trying to hammer you with that. But they were wrong. So pray for them. And then the Lord restores everything back to Job. And that, so where does the book leave us then? Right, where does the book of Job leave us? What, what is there? What leaves us in a place of difficulty and a place of peace as well? Right, difficulty because we might never get answers for the questions we have in our life. Right? Why did that happen to me when I was a child? Why is this happening right now? Why do I see this tragedy unfolding in a friend's life? Right? We might never get that answer. It might never happen to that to come to us. We'll probably never know the reason God does what he does. I mean, Job is not like, well, I'm saving this information for someone else and then you'll hire here later. No, nothing. I do what I do. And you just have to trust. But it leads us to peace. So that's difficult, right? But then it leads us to peace as well. And that we have a God who knows all and is in command of all. A God who does know the answers for those things. A God who was there when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. We have a God who, know, who, was, who was there and did all that work and who loves us. And that should give us peace because I don't need to know. One of the gifts of childhood is not needing to know everything, isn't it? 
Have you enjoyed, like, growing up and having to know things? No. No. There's some joy in learning and expanding our understanding of things. But on some level, knowledge comes with some grief, doesn't it? Absolutely. And there's a certain peace in being able to trust in a God who does know. Who does know. Now, ultimately, though, this book leaves me yearning for a savior. Someone to come to me and to be with me and to redeem me. Because the challenge is, is that I'm not like Job. I would have a hard time if my friends started saying, you must have done something to have all this calamity come upon you. I would have a hard time, like, denying that. Would you? Would you be able to say, oh, no, no, I've done nothing? I mean, you might be able to say that, but would it be honest? No. No. I'm not like Job. I'm guilty. I need help. I mean, I'm the kind of person who considers it a personal insult that my lights didn't work. Right? You can imagine the kind of trouble I get myself into with God. I need a savior because I am a mess. Now, in the most remarkable way, God has sent another Job, a man of perfection who bore a tremendous burden, who was tempted and tested on behalf of others, and who ultimately prayed for his friends to be forgiven. And his death and his resurrection have canceled out the sins of all who trust in him. The story of Job is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who died to set us free. And it is to this Savior that we can turn when the world seems so very unfair. He knows the world seems unfair. He has borne the weight of the judgment of this world upon his shoulders. And he wants to take that weight from us and replace it with his righteousness and peace. Let us pray to the Savior now. Lord God, thank you for being the light of the world, the hope of the nations, the one who has come and died to set us free. Lord God, you did not try to defend or vindicate yourself as you stood trial before Pilate. Lord, like a lamb before its shears is silent, so you did not open your mouth. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that in the face of an unjust court, you stood and you took our punishment upon yourself and you died so that us unrighteous, complaining, frustrated people could be forgiven. We turn to you now and confess that we are not like Job. We are not able to say that we are righteous on our own. Lord God, we know that we are broken and need your help. And so, Lord, humble us and draw us to you. And may we kneel at the foot of your cross and confess you as our Lord and Savior, laying down our sins before you and entrusting our lives to you. Lord, may we die to our sin and be resurrected 
resurrected in the name of your Son. And send us into this world as agents of your peace and love, as people of mercy and grace. And may we be willing to sit with those who are suffering as you sit with us. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.